Matt, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Shoot. You're a dietitian, right? Uh, unofficial, unlicensed, but yeah. Unofficial, right. but I pay you to give me feedback, right? Yeah, I do take money. It's 25 So, I'm going to tell you what I ate today, and I'll preface this by saying I feel a little off, okay? Okay. Um, I went to the grocery store this morning at 7 a.m. because I wanted donuts. With all the old people? With all the old people, you know, just, you know, people in there getting getting their shopping done early. They know what they want. I wanted donuts. Got donuts. Guess how many donuts I bought? Baker's dozen. Is that 13? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, 12. Close. A, do- a real dozen. Okay. A real dozen. They were also a day old. Yeah, but they're cheap. That's fine. Half price, 250. That's the way to go. No judgment yeah. there. So you're writing this down, right? That's my yeah. dietitian. That's yeah. good. Uh, the girlfriend didn't want any donuts, so this is all on me. Okay. Did you buy them with her in mind, or did uh, you offer as an afterthought? She wanted a cake donut, and I was like, mm. I Those got. Those were a- on sale. You get whatever's on sale. I just got, it was like this little cart that was off to the side. And I go, what's this cart? I was like, this doesn't look very uh, official. Picked it up, 250. Let's go with those. Nice, okay. Variety, some some uh, sprinkles, some chocolate, some glaze. Some that look kind of like eclairs. Anyway, ate about five or six of those before the girlfriend said, I'm going to throw these away, which she did. To for your own benefit to for stop my benefit because I was feeling mm, not good, not good. Yeah, but hey, day off. And you couldn't stop yourself. Yeah. Also, right before this uh, podcast, which we are recording at one p.m. day before Thanksgiving, uh, we kind of do a little chat before uh, we start recording. And you go, "Are you drinking wine right now?" I go, "Yeah, I am." So, donuts and wine. In your professional opinion, is that a good day? Is that a good yeah. way to the day? Good way to, uh, just what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my theory, what I operate under is that you have to treat yourself. You have to give yourself permission to indulge in what you want. And so I would say six donuts and then uh, a glass of wine is kind of right about where you want to be on your day off. Appreciate it. I would also like to say I crashed at about 10.30 this morning and I fell asleep. What time do you think around 3 or 4 you'll be rummaging in the trash to get the uh, the rest of the donuts? Now that you mention it, maybe. I don't know. Because they're not gone forever. They're just in the trash. Yeah, they're just Probably in the different container. And, and, and trash is just a word we use to, mm-hmm. to mean you know, not ideal. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. They're not gone. I, I say, as your dietitian, get back in there for your dinner. All right. Brush them off. I appreciate it. Uh, how much do I owe you this for this session? Pro bono. Pro bono. It's uh, free advertising. I want the listener to hear what a good nutritionist I am. And they'll yeah, be like, yeah. Oh, uh, do, do a quick plug. What, what, for, what, for uh, my, where can the listener find your uh, expertise at? I have a fake Twitter account, but I can't... Uh, I can't give out the information because I want to keep it anonymous. So just hit us up at Will Be Books. It's my little side project. I'm a life coach, uh, nutrition slash dietitian. I came up with a term for your uh, dietitian. Ready for sure. it? Okay. Healthy, healthy guts. Oh, that's really good. I know. Healthy good. guts. You know, I attributed that to the uh, six donuts that I ate. So anyway. Mm-hmm. It's important. Wine mixes well with um, pastries and encourages healthy gut microbiome. I think all really smart people have drunk wine in the past. Yeah. It is a fancy thing to do. It is a fancy. Is uh, a the wine I'm drinking came out of a box. Does that change any of your opinions? Nope. Perfect. Anyway, and on that note, on that positive note, uh, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about... Uh, eating donuts and and reading books. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. Matt, we got a special episode this week. Got a fun one. Got a fun one. We're talking about one book this week. You want to say what book that is? It's uh, Piranesi. Piranesi. I heard people call it Piranesi. I'm saying 
Piranesi. I, uh, I, I did a YouTube search of how to pronounce this word. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got confused in my own head. Because <laughs> an Italian guy was Piranesi, mm -hmm. which I'm not sure about. But yeah. Yeah. Piranesi. I'm we're going to we're the, Let's we're go with Piranesi just because we're got Midwestern American accents. Okay. And it's wrong, it's wrong, but that's, you know. So Piranesi by Susanna Clark, the long-awaited follow-up to her, um, you know, well, how would you describe her debut? Best-selling. Best-selling, put her, you know, sold. It's very good. I read it. Peter hasn't. It's very good. I have not read it yet. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of, this is, I don't think it has any connection to that first book, if I'm wrong. If I'm... I have some theories. Gonna I'm going to lay out, towards the end, I'll lay out a theory. I think there's a connection. So uh, on this episode, it's a little bit different because this book is a little bit different. Um, we are going to get into spoilers because I think to talk about this book in a, in, like in a complete way, you have to spoil it in a way. But what we'll do is in the uh, kind of show description, we'll put some timestamps. So once mm -hmm. we like edit it, we kind of figure out when we start talking about spoilers. But let's, in the beginning. Yeah, just so you know, because it, it really is a very good book and I highly recommend it. But I think it's the most enjoyable if you come into it not really knowing anything or not, not with any expectations. And so once you listen to it, come back and let's do it after the timestamp. Yeah. If you read it, then you're fine. But I, we're going to kind of structure that. So as to try yeah, not yeah, to. Yeah. So that we don't, we don't anger the listener. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't go, I went into this book cold. Um, mm -hmm. I saw some reviews on uh, bookmarks, a lot of rave reviews. A lot of people were saying, you know, highly enjoyable books. And it's interesting when you read the reviews, it's interesting how they're written because they kind of have to skirt these spoilers in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of an, it's a, it's an art, I think in itself about how to write about something without spoiling what's going on. You know what? And I kind of appreciate like culturally um, how that's kind of an unspoken assumed uh, deal that we all agree on, I guess. It's like, Hey, we don't want to spoil. It's a fun story. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, our, our culture is kind of bleak at the moment, but I do appreciate the whole spoiler warning is like, a, it's it's a good, that is a good facet of our if culture. If that ever changes, that's a sign of the decline, which yeah. we probably are again. But if people are like, you know what, spoil everything. Screw you. Here's if you, don't, if you don't watch the newest Netflix show within the first 48 hours, yeah, spoil that. They just ruin it. Yeah, no, that's good. I actually, I think that's a that's a kind of a nice thing we do. Like, hey, I don't want to ruin this story for you. So, how would what would be your broadest description of this book? Oh, I don't even know, like how you'd recommend it to somebody. Well, okay, um, so it, it's a it's a mystery, like a a, a puzzle. It, yes, kind of a puzzle, right? Here's how I described it a little bit. It's a it's a novel just out of reach. And what Ooh, I mean by yeah. that is when I was the first part of it, before you started getting to unwinding the mystery of it, I was a little on shaky ground about what was going on. I was enjoying it, but I knew there was going to be more to it. So you, for yeah, me, you know, and yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, well, it's a very smart novel, a lot of thought. In my opinion, a lot of thought and time has gone into structuring it. And you can, I would feel like you can read this novel probably three times and find new things. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, short. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm planning uh, on reading it again, knowing what happens. And there's all, be all sorts of things to look for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it's like, it's fun. It's like a little puzzle or a gift somebody gave you and you're just kind of unwrapping it. And you're like, there's more in there. And you know there's more in there, and you're like, so she kind of hooks you with the in with the just the basic bare bone, which is we we we'll start talking about it's a a, a person named Piranesi. Yep. Who is in this vast, it's basically a labyrinth. Mm -hmm. It's a house, a labyrinth with all these rooms, just what surrounded by statues, just a big vast 
house with statues, um, some living birds. In the bottom, there's an ocean. And on the top floor, I think the third floor, are clouds. And it's just this guy lives there alone. He was just kind of, so you're introduced to the book with this guy, Piranesi, living in this huge, huge house slash labyrinth. And right but, away, it is fantasy. It feels like fantasy. Yeah, well, if, and if, you're okay, like, okay, what's going on? Because she introduces the character and everything. You're like, okay, well, how'd this guy get here? What is this? Is this, you know, at first I was like, okay, is this like a, is this like a spaceship? Like one of those long distance spaceships, how you travel through time. It's strange. And Mr. Norell was a fantasy book. So you're like, okay, is this like a fantasy world? Like what's going on here? And then that's part of the fun. You get to unravel, okay, what exactly is going on? And she kind of spaces it out like, like a mystery novel would, you know, you're kind of like there's clues and other people. And you're like, okay, this but is a, really fun. I would say in a very detached, like how the clues and the mystery is unraveled is in a very, I don't know, it, it, the voice of the novel is interesting because it does change kind of in a couple mm -hmm. of key moments. Um, it's kind of an illusion. I feel like, yeah, whenever you're dealing with statues and and uh, a lot of terms in this novel are capitalized, so it's you know the house or or whatever mm -hmm. or the world. So you're kind of looking at well, what does this symbol mean in context to the to the novel? And oh, there's, there's layers and layers of. There's of a character called the other. Yeah, the other. Um, the prophet there's so there's all these but, but it's kind of like what we're talking about with the haunting of hill house it exists on two levels mm -hmm. you know you can look at it as metaphors and illusions like illusions with an a illusions and but it's also very real like you take it as this character is in this house and this stuff's going on and i think she weaves it together so they're both true it's better to look at it as a nice mixture rather than oh the whole thing's just an illusion yeah you know, and, so. and it was part of it too as the story unveils itself you almost feel like oh i gotta slow down because did i miss something before mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. what you almost it has that has that quality which i think is good in, in sort of like a puzzle novel that's not really a term but as a, as oh, a story un unravels it's but that's what it is in puzzle you almost for me i was like Hold on, I gotta slow slow down because yeah, I too. must have missed clues along the way. Mm -hmm. Well, even just oh, sorry, go ahead. It, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's jarring. It's it's clever. I've I've heard yeah. that the book is described as clever, and I agree with that. It is. It's well done. It's yeah. well done. It's 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 a puzzle. It's very well laid out. It's it's a puzzle slash mystery novel. Um, I think she does a really, really good job of it. Like even just going back and, and looking at notes for the show, I <clears throat> I found like when he's talking to the prophet, I found some says like, oh, right, right. And just knowing how it ends, just those note parts, like, okay, well, this makes sense. Yeah. So I think it, I'm definitely going to read it a second time at some point. It also has uh, Suzanne Clark also kind of, the, I think the book can be also connected to her uh, experience. You know, after the fame of her debut, uh, a little backstory she's kind of touring and gets diagnosed with chronic fatigue and sort of uh, limited I guess in a sense to what she can write and her whole life is sort of you know I don't know in a sense of prison that the the term prison um, Piranesi was actually a real Italian um, person in the I believe 18th century I yeah he was an artist yeah so let's... and he had created sort of prison drawings etchings is that correct i, I believe yeah yeah so let's get into what uh some of the spoiler stuff let's yeah. kind of lay okay. it out we, we've given a general overview and now we're going to do read the book is yeah okay. go read the book come back and listen to the rest of the episode okay. when you're when you have okay so paranisi is in this house alone except for one other person who is literally called the other mm -hmm. the story takes place from Piranesi's point of view and so and Piranesi is by the way just really really I guess you'd call him guileless innocent 
yes. like just a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, wants the best for people, but he's stuck here with just one other, one other person who he calls the other. Um, how would you describe the other? He's kind of like, at, at, at first, you know something's up with them and that he's kind of toying with Piranesi, but you don't know how or why. And you, and you know Piranesi is such an innocent character that he doesn't realize he's being toyed with. So um, um, this world, this house that they are in, where there's tides and there's floods and there's um, huge hallways of statues and everything, Piranesi has explored as far as he can in this house. He has taken meticulous notes, which is important mm-hmm. uh, as far as notebooks. He's very into journaling and he writing and down. He, he and the other have a set time where they meet, essentially. And it's it, the dynamic between the two, as you start off, is the other is looking for information from Piranesi. Or yeah. he doesn't seem, he seems disconnected from this world. He doesn't know it as well, I guess, from Piranesi's point of view. Kind of, does that yeah, yeah. Piranesi explores explores the house. He's got really good directions. He's got his own lingo. Yep. You know, it's always like I was in the eighth southwestern corridor. So he's just kind of making his way, like yeah. almost like tracing out the labyrinth. Very precise map of this labyrinth house. Yeah. And oh, and so yeah, that's what it came from. So the other names him Piranesi. Mm-hmm. He knows Piranesi's not his name. He doesn't know his real name. Yes. At first, but he know the other calls me Piranesi and it works. And then I purposely didn't look up who the real life Piranesi was until the end because I didn't want to. Yeah. Once you do that, it makes total sense. Because like you were saying, he's a 17th, 18th century Italian artist who really elaborate drawings of like prisons and like big labyrinthine buildings, exactly like the houses. Mm-hmm. They're actually really, if you look at them, like Google them, they're really cool looking. Yeah. But it makes sense that the other would name him Piranesi. You know, it's like a little joke, halfway malevolent nickname that the other gives to our protagonist, yeah. Piranesi. And the other also has the sense of testing what Piranesi remembers or what he knows. Yeah, he's uh, on the he's on guard for Piranesi. He's like, do you remember? Battersea, Battersea, which is a, is a place in England. And when you and when you get to that point me not knowing anything about the book and if you go in you should go in cold you're kind of like what is going on here okay so you're, you're getting pieces of the knob or of the puzzle but you get you're getting no connections really right yeah like you're getting there's um you know there's at the end it'll tie together but at first you're like i don't really know what's going on here so it's a little bit it's like the first clue yeah. Right? You're like, oh, Battersea, okay, that ties it to our our world. Um, and you know, you know, as a reader, that the other is a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. But you're watching, and Piranesi does not know. And you're kind of watching this play out. Um, well, you're also, you're in Piranesi's mind. And as the story evolves, you're realizing maybe his notebooks, the note-taking he's doing, what he remembers. Because he's told, I think the other at one point tells him, like, you know, you miss meetings or you've you don't remember this or you don't like and you kind of become unhinged with Piranesi as sort of well what's reality right you know in this world the kind of fantasy world something's off obviously kind of I mean yeah and you and the part of the pleasure is just figuring out what it is she sets Mm -hmm. it up this weird thing these two people and then you're, the pleasure is in unfolding and you want to know, okay, what exactly is going on? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, the other, you start to figure out it's more fantasy than any sort of like sci-fi or like I thought it was like a spaceship yeah. at first. Uh, one of the, he like Piranesi keeps journals and I noticed one of the first journal entries you get, it like, it ends in November of 2012. And then at, and originally I was in my mind, I'm like, ooh, that's like when everybody thought the Mayan calendar, remember December uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2012. Oh, so I was yeah, like, ooh, yeah. is it is it something to is it gonna be something to do with that? 
and well we're into the spoiler part so it, it winds up like that's kind of coincidence yeah i wonder if that was a conscious red herring on Susanna clark's part or if it just kind of worked out that way but that was one of them, i was like oh it could be this but so oh what i was getting at the uh the other it's clear he's after some sort of he calls it what the the great secret power like he's after some he thinks the house has some sort of power and he wants to harness yeah it. like there's this great knowledge and that we're in search of it yeah um, my and there's one, my one critique of the book is that element of and we'll get into more of the spoiler that element of the of the kind of the great knowledge and i don't know it yeah i didn't really care for it as much so oh, i loved it oh you did was, so yeah. sort of like the reason behind um why these people are looking for the i it, on one side i did like it but sort of the the great knowledge i don't know it didn't kind of kicked me out of the story for for some reason I'm not sure oh, really? no i thought it was great i think yeah no i really liked it so like, yeah um but there's lots of uh and there's metaphors for what happens at the end of the story that great secret knowledge it's all tied up in, I think, the metaphorical aspect of the story, and it kind of makes sense what these people would be striving for. It's also the connection between Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Okay. So let's. I have my let's my theory the, is it the ties plot. together. Let's go through the plot. So, Kiranisi and the other, it sort of seems uh, in a power dynamic, the other has more control over Piranesi. And yeah. he sort of warns them of, of other characters. There's also, a, in this house, skeleton remains um, of 13, I believe, other people, correct? 13 people, and then with Piranesi and the other, there's 15. 15. There's rumors of a 16th person who's yeah. just called 16. 15. And Piranesi's told to uh, be on the lookout. Essentially, this is a, an enemy. Uh, of sorts. Um, there's also Piranesi comes in contact with um, this person called the Prophet, who he meets before he meets 16, essentially. And the Prophet short, sort of, when you get to that part, more elements of the mystery are starting to come um, to the forefront. And you're starting to get a better sense of what's actually going on in this world i it's weird because there's the world of the house and then you learn there's the outside world mm -hmm. um so yeah do you want to where should we go next and sort of yeah. spoiling the book or well i enjoyed there's a couple funny part like piranesi kind of um talks with a lot of exclamation points that kind of highlight his innocence mm-hmm um he wants to be very helpful to the other long past the point where the reader realizes the other's kind of using him but uh so the other's setting up to do one of his little magical exercises and Piranesi asks like what shall I do and the other says nothing just keep quiet like I told you and Piranesi says I will concentrate on lending you the strength of my spirit and the other just says fine good you do that <laughs> Yeah. Like, so okay. It's so, uh, so let's let's get it. Piranesi um is warned essentially by sixteen. Sixteen writes a message. Um sort of you you kind of come to find out yeah. essentially what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So there's rumors that sit, there's another person. Yes. And the other tells Piranesi to be wary of this other person. Um, yeah. And like a, almost like a child, he comes upon yeah. a message. And instead of looking at the message, he kind of, um, what was the message? It was, it was like in stone or something like that? Yeah, it was, written in pe or it was written in chalk at first. Yeah. And like a child, Piranesi believes that the other, believes the other when he says 16 is bad. Yeah. So he's like, Oh, and the other tells Piranesi not to even listen. Don't even let, don't let 16 talk to you. You'd be mm -hmm. better to, to kill him first. Yes. You know, he's like, and you know, you're like, okay, this is, 
you know, Piranesi eats it up, but you know, like, okay, this might be. Yeah, this. 16 might not be an enemy, but Piranesi goes into it thinking that 16 is an enemy. And so, you know, th there's messages exchanged like throughout the labyrinth and 16 is around and you're wondering like, okay, who is this 16 character? And then when he's looking for that or trying to avoid 16, uh, he meets the prophet mm -hmm. who is an old man. And you kind of, that's like more exposition. Like that character serves the function of like, okay, here's kind of what's going on. And Piranesi labels him the prophet. Yep. And then you kind of get the sense like, okay, this guy's like an academic. He knows the other's real name, which is Val Ketterly. Yep. You know, you get the sense they're like kind of rival academics. You also get the sense like you start to sense like, okay, so this is like a separate world like the Narnia stories where you can like step in from our world into a different realm. And so that's when you, it kind of clicks like, okay, you kind of vaguely know what you're dealing with. And these, these academic type magician, like academic type people have figured out a way into separate into another Narnia type world. Yeah. It's, it's not even like belief. It's you literally, um, you learn the prophet's name is Lawrence Arn Sales. Yeah. yeah. And he it essentially has followers about, it reminds you of uh, like college philosophy or college, you know. Uh, yeah, like a charismatic professor who's got yeah, a few professor with um, yeah. kind of uh, followers who will follow this person to the ends of the earth or whatever. Exactly. And you learn that this prophet or Lawrence um, gets arrested and in trouble for basically like kind of kidnapping this one person, essentially. Kidnapping a young, yes, uh, like homeless person. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It, but he's also an academic and he kind of specializes in ancient knowledge. And as yeah. the story winds on, you find you find out that his specialty, he had um, a theory that like ancient pre-civilized humans had ways to commune with nature. It's basically like an, an era before writing, before history started where magic existed and, you know, humans could transform into eagles and there's all yeah. this magic, I would say before the dawn of time, right? And she does really well. It's not as, it's, it's, it's well woven into the story. So I mean, it might sound what, abrupt what when you're talking I say about it, is but. what my issue is, is the Lawrence and sort of the professor theories or whatever. Oh no, but that's, that's part of like, that's, you it's haven't read the Narnia books. Yeah. But that's kind of what it's just in the Narnia books, they talk about there being deep magic from before the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. She doesn't use that term, but that's exactly the way to describe what the professors and everything are talking about. It's a really clever, subtle illusion. So I get like, have you having not read that? It might yeah. be a little, but no, but that's what it is. It's, it it's, wasn't it's, interesting to me in a sense of like. Oh, but that's the key. That's the key to the whole thing. That's no, like, I know, but the, like, yeah. They're like, when the book would describe their philosophies on like this other world and how the ancients would communicate or. Yeah. I was just like, I, I just want to get to the. I, don't oh, know. I ate that up. Um, I, that was great. That was, yeah, that was like. But see, we both enjoyed the novel and one aspect you loved and one aspect I was like, eh, I can give it to this part. Yeah. No, but that's exactly. So I, I really like that part. And it's also, you know, okay, it's setting up this other world exists. This is how they get there, right? And it is a lot like the Narnia books, except it's like an adult, bleaker version. Like when the kids go into Narnia, it's this whole other world and they're gonna be kings and queens and there's talking animals and all this. And in this one, it's a huge labyrinth with basically two people, yeah. maybe three alive in there and it's all statues, it's all hollow. And I mean, there, I think there's symbolism in there yeah. too about living and then, in the real let's world. Let's get to the, the, the major spoilers. So yeah. we eventually find out that 16, um, how do I want to talk about the whole book? 
Um, Berenice finds his journals, his yeah. own journals from back before he was in the labyrinth. Yes, that's and that's the big, that's when things really start rolling. He figures out his real name. Mm. He figures out how he got there. He figures out the house messes with your memory. And that's why the other doesn't stay and there too the long. His real name is Matthew Rose Sorensen. Yeah. Um, and what he comes to find out is he, he at one point, wanted to write a book about the prophet character, this uh, charismatic professor who had all these followers, who had this sort of system of, you know, he could take these people to this. Let's call it ancient magic. Yes. To the, to, yeah. you know, to the world that Piranesi is inhabiting, the world of, uh, you know, tie, you know, an ocean contained in a house, essentially tides, mm -hmm. um, statues, kind of like birds and clouds and mist up above, kind of this, this very fantasy world. And he doesn't believe it at all. No. He's curious about the character. He's curious about it. And he goes to a person, Ketterly, who is actually, how, what was it? He was, he worked with, Sam. He was one of the grad students and then he yeah. had a falling out. He had a falling sales, out. But he's but he still. He goes to interview him to write a, because he wants to write this book. The, yeah. You see in real life or, you know. Any, yeah. Question of what's real life versus the house. Yeah. Wants but to write this novel about this guy. who, who He's going to write a, a nonfiction book. Nonfiction, yes. And he can't get a hold of sales. Sales doesn't want anything to do with them. But he still wants to write the book. Um, and in his journals, you can see traces of like the the Piranesi from the labyrinth. You can see he's just a very methodical person who thinks of things logically. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Piranesi of the labyrinth is kind of a stripped down version of this journalist academic who's trying to write the book on sales, but he can't get in touch with sales. So he goes to talk to Ketterly. Yep. Who I think we know as a reader by this time is the other. And this yep. is like a little flash in a movie, it'd be the flashback scene as to how he got there. And he goes to Battersea. He goes to Battersea. Which is why yeah. the other is asking him about it to test what he remembers before this encounter, essentially. Yep. Yep. To see if anything triggers him into. Yeah. As a reader, that's part of the pleasure, like, oh, and then. Yep. And then, yeah, he's, he's skeptical. Uh, Ketterly says he has a way to bring, to go to this other world and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, say uh, Matthew, uh, what's his name? Uh, so yeah, Piranesi, the guy who becomes Piranesi, doesn't believe him at all, but he's humoring him because he wants information for his book. And that scene is very, well, excellent. It's an excellent, haunting, almost cinematic in quality. Really well done. You can, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I have highlighted here because he's the, the Ketterly convinces him to do the little ritual that'll take him to another world. And yeah. we know that this is real. We know what's coming. We know it's going to work. But the character um, does Sorensen does not know. And it's actually funny. Like you can see the wheels turning in Ketterly's head. And he asked him at one point, does anybody know you're here? Yeah. And, and Piranesi is such a naive character. But so is so is um, Sorensen because he goes, oh, that's a weird question. Whereas you or I, if if I went to go interview some creepy dude out by the sea somewhere, and yeah, and he asked me if I came here alone, you'd be you know, that's like huge red flag. So but this character, he doesn't nothing in his mind. He's like, oh, that's odd. I mean, he doesn't. He thinks this is all ruse. At one point, he goes, and I started going over in my mind what questions I could ask him after the ritual in order to expose his dis dishonesty. But as the sort of ritual goes on, he, he starts to panic and eventually um, you realize that Piranesi is placed into this house or fantasy world by Ketterly or the other um, mm -hmm. based on these rituals that Ketterly sort of learned or whatever from handle, yeah. Then, and this part I did not see coming at all, <laughs> is you learn 16 is a police officer. Yeah. Who has, she gets in contact with like, I believe sales and sales is, you know, this is, sales is an arrogant, um, 
there's a great part at the end where um, the idea of, of um, the statues being better representations of real life, I guess, in a sense. And sales is sort of this pompous guy. And he says, you know, you can actually get into this world in 16, uh, whose real name is, let's see, Sarah Raphael. Yeah, yeah, you don't realize it's the fact that it's a she is kind of a little twist. Yes. And she you realize gets into the house or the world that Piranesi is essentially stuck in. But, but he likes in a way, right? He doesn't, he doesn't know his previous self. He's forgotten everything and he sees himself as a child of the house. Yeah. Like the, he treats it like a religious person would God. Like the house provides, I'm his faithful steward and the house will provide for me. And he's got enough to eat. He eats like boiled seaweed and yeah. eats like mussels or clams or whatever. Cause there's an ocean in the basement. And so he, and he's totally forgotten this Sorensen part. Yes. It, it uh, yeah. brings up a, a really interesting question in the, 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 the later part of the novel bring, um, kind of talks about is if you don't remember your memories and your mind has been altered, are you really that person? Because it seems to um, say that you aren't in, in a way. Well, um, he, yeah. He's almost two people at this point. He's Piranesi. Um, and then the other world is forgotten or kind of buried in his in his psyche in a sense well that's true because even after he figures out he reads the journal and pieces it together he doesn't think of himself as matthew was it matthew Sorensen? rose Sorensen. he but matthew, yeah it's a lot of like you have the face of matthew Sorensen. you you know you look like him but it's all physical it's all kind of physical yep. it's like this is um from the outside you are him but yeah. You have no memories of being him or your memories are kind of in a fog and you have to sort of be reminded of your previous self. Yeah. Um, and at the end, he, he disassociates. Yes. He, he's like Matthew Sorensen lives inside me, but I still Piranesi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is an interesting concept, I guess, in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. There's no real resolution to that sort of Mm -hmm. of the story um it's just sort of a matter of fact that he you know he has the sort of the person of the house of um kind of the labyrinth of yeah well he kind of came to love in a weird way yeah oh he, he uh, loved it he yeah. he, he wants really to go want back to, to it first yeah there's a whole the denouement with 16 and you figure out who she is she's a police officer who matthew Sorensen has disappeared in the real world and the, she was a clever enough detective to kind of piece together oh, yeah. the, a way into the labyrinth so, and then yeah. he figures out the other is an enemy and that situation kind of resolves itself um that kind of climactic moment there's a big flood uh you know maybe we're spoiled we're way gone spoilers yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other dies um smashed up against yeah. a statue and then he's got an option to go back to the real world to tell Matthew Rose Sorensen's family that he's okay and all that. And he's like, let me think about it. He doesn't want to go back right away. Yeah, he doesn't go back. He eventually goes back. Um, and this is the interesting part. His family basically said, they, they, at one point, at the very end of the book, it goes, um, you know, he's reappeared. The kind of the section is called Matthew Rose Sorensen has reappeared. Um, he, and this is also interesting. He had disappeared for six years, uh, yeah. which is yeah. kind of crazy. It kind of sneaks up on you. But he goes, um, Matthew Rose Sorensen's mother, father, and sisters and friends tell each other that this is a description of a mental breakdown seen from the inside, an explanation they find reasonable, perhaps even reassuring. Yep. And wow. that leaves you wondering. A, is this a mental breakdown or is that just the, for his family to be okay with who he is now? Well, sense? I think that's intentionally dubious. That's the duality that exists in this book, like, like with Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. Is a mental breakdown? Is it really haunted? Yeah. And this one, I think that exists too. And I was actually leaning, because I, I was that dynamic, I was kind of wondering about it. And for 99% of the book, I was like, no, this is, 
really a fantastical book with some metaphors for real life stuff, but it's 100% fantastical world. But the last two or three pages made me kind of rethink like, okay, maybe there's more. It's supposed to be nebulous. And I think the really good books aren't going to give you an answer one way or another. But yeah, what did he really disappear into this labyrinth or did he undergo a traumatic experiment experience? Was he like really locked in Ketterly's basement? Yeah, and it was a mental break. That's why I wanted to ask you, like the, the sea, Ketterly yep. is by the ocean, right? Yep. So if he were locked in a basement. So if he was locked in a in a of, environment where the sea of some psychopath, yeah. Of a psychopath. Well, yeah, because there's there's an element of this book where it's like, if you want to get real, Ketterly has imprisoned him in a room or something, I don't know, where water is sort of like periodically seeping in a basement in a house by yeah. the sea yeah where if you were tied up in a yep because i thought of it i was like but am i just imagining that or is that there? i think it's supposed to be a real option yeah i think it, it's not one way or another i think the best stories can be read both ways because but yeah it's if it, that's the case then then piranesi's mind has created a world to deal with the horrific situation that he's been placed in and he kept his optimism he's still a good person yes he really is a genuinely guileless good person throughout in his, yeah. in his piranesi guys through the journals you figure out he was a, a pretty good person before which led him there's a whole other thing a good person who was kind of like he set out to write a book on a bad per like sales the old professor is a bad, like a trans, he calls him a transgressive person. And he set out to research it and his innocent, Piranesi's innocence led him into this trouble, right? Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there too. But yeah, that's the point. He, he So he made, either way, he went through this experience and maintained his goodness and had a disassociative identity crisis type of thing. It, I mean- It's it's open to interpretation. You can- Well, so, okay, well, you haven't read the Narnia books, but I think you get the gist and the audience members who have. Yeah. Did the kids really go to Narnia? I mean, yeah, for the story, yes, they did. But it's also very clearly a metaphor for growing up and becoming an adult. You know, it's, it's, it's all there and it's best not to say either way. Like uh, uh, look, Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, I went back and watched the uh, cartoon because I got my brother's login for Disney Plus. So, but there, that whole thing, there's a question of do you really? There's the way of looking at the Peter Pan story where that all takes place in their bedroom. They're just yeah. kids playing. They don't really go to Never Neverland. But yeah. you also have to when you're a kid, you watch and like, yeah, they went to Never Neverland. And as an adult, you're like, oh, this is a metaphor for growing up again you know mm. there's a reason in in peter pan they have the same actor typically play the father in the real world does plays captain hook it's all right there so yeah. it's i think it's something common in all stories where you go to another world yeah it's there it's like okay this is real for the story but it's also metaphorically something else and what i like um, about i saw something about the kind of the allusion to um, what is it? Plato's the cave. I could be completely like the. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Plato's the, cave. Yeah. Um, what is it? Kind of the statues in the in in Piranesi. Yep. The statues represent are a better representation of life than actual real life. Yeah. Um, or for so in Plato's cave, your peak humanity, most of humanity, is chained up, facing a cave wall with a fire in the background. So yeah. all you see are shadows. Mm -hmm. And Plato's point was in the real world, we only see a reflection of the real world. The real world is outside. And in, Plato, in the in Plato's cave analogy, somebody escapes and comes back and tries to unchain people. It's like, no, this is, this is shadows. Mm -hmm. The real world's out here. And they kill the person who tries to show them the real world. What, which, uh, which is interesting. It, I almost see it as more of a, this novel is more of a connection to, um, or this is just a reading I think you could do with this book of in today's world, you can really become separated from the outside world in a sense through yep. technology or however you want to lead your life. There is a, oh, yeah. a kind of a, 
I don't know how to describe it, but you can find a community on the internet or whatever, or reality on the internet that is separate from, you know, the reality of the, you know, going to work in grocery store. And you can, in this day and age, lead a life that is sort of in a fantasy in a sense. Well, your shadows where other real life people would be statues to you. People you will never meet in person who you will form connections with um, I don't know. That's what I kind of was starting to think yeah. about in this book of, because yeah. um, yeah. Easy seems to like, and, and even um, 16, uh, Raphael sort of goes back into the labyrinth uh, or the house. It's, an, it's a they, separate. They, they find out a way to go in there like safely, I guess, but it's almost a, a home or a comforting area. Yeah. It's a refuge from the real world. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, it's yeah. it's not accidental that everybody involved, for the most part, is an academic or very bookish. Yeah, the house is statues, and it represents. It's like the past, so they all want to find see like they ignore the real world, looking for knowledge and power in the past, which would be Ketterly and Sales, and then parent you find out Ketterly wants to use Piranesi. He's like, after the, the whole ritual works and Piranesi first goes there, he's like, yeah, I could use a, a strong young yeah, man. Yeah, a strong young man. Because the house makes you forget you have amnesia. So he, yeah. so Ketterly can't go exploring. He needs a little lab rat to do it. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think we've said this before, but why this, uh, you know, this kind of novel works so well is there's so many things you can kind of branch out and think about you start uh, thinking about, yeah. Well. Yeah, so cause just talking about it, it's sort of, you know, why are we, why are people drawn to these? Because he's drawn to it. Uh, he, he likes being in the house. Why are people drawn to these elaborate labyrinth fantasy worlds where they can, they're separate from reality in a sense? Well, I think reality is kind of bleak. Yeah. And it's kind of, or it can be. Yeah. At the end, Pyrenees kind of wakes. He's like, he starts to see. He wakes up, but he he never, comes to life. The last sentence, and what? Hold on. He calls the house something. He goes, the beauty of the house is immeasurable. It's kindness infinite. Yep. So that's how he views the house. Well, well, you can also see the house in reality as being. He's a captive of this deranged. Uh, college college professor who's mm-hmm. doing these experiments that that's sort of I think the reality of what he actually lived yeah for those six years because he's he kind of didn't have shoes I think there's some reference to the fact that he had like um, beads or kind of growing in his hair he was he didn't look very good while he was in the house yeah. Um, and if you were a captive, you wouldn't look very good. It's it's cleverly done. Yeah. You can read it both ways. Right. Because in my no, head, it's, it's, his his refuge or a safe place is in his brain that he created for himself. Yep. yep. Or it really happened. And it's kind of. Or it, uh, yeah. I mean, no, it's, but that's what makes it so, that's what makes it so good. Yeah. Is both you can read it both and she we, i just got to be intentional she wove the story oh it's she's you know, extremely smart in doing this. Either way uh um, see the the quote you read that was because originally the house provides and that sort of sentiment that is how he viewed the house itself the last two pages yeah um he's talking about the real world yeah there's that scene where he's walking around and he sees an old man and he is like oh that was the statue on the you know the fourth quadrant or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it, it, that's him kind of waking up to the real world and so the very end quote is him talking about the real world and that's kind okay. of like is a little growth that's like him kind yeah, of see that too. Something, you know he starts it's, to see statues and the real, real life people in the statues yeah it, it's the which do you prefer um, or which are you drawn to the real world because he when he meets huh. 16 he's like are there how many people are in the world and she's like you know and it's sort of this like bizarre conversation he's like are there more than i don't know 70 people and she goes yeah 
there are. And he thought 70 was the ridiculous number. Yeah, like a crazy like, number. He said, uh, like, I chose a, a, a ridiculously high amount on purpose. But he but, is still, he still believes in these statues because the statues are like his life. He knows them and they can represent anything in the world that he lives in. And she yeah. goes, well, you know, once you get out of here, you can see the real thing, you know. But he, there's a part where he goes, you know, the statues are, are better because they don't decay and they mm -hmm. don't yep. change and change. They don't disappoint you. They don't, they don't disappoint. They're, they're there. Um, yeah. And I thought that was an interesting idea in the book of. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that, that, that makes the Plato's cave thing. Mm -hmm. 16, it, Raphael is the person who turns him around to reality when he's changed. It's also, she could be a literal detective who literally travels into the labyrinth for the magical rituals, or she's just a really astute you, detective who's really good psychologically, and she draws him out of his trauma-induced uh, fantasy. You remember the movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez? I never saw that, but is it this similar? reminded me of a little bit of this, of like going into the mind okay. yeah. of, I mean, of uh, yeah. a killer or whatever, and they're trapped in a labyrinth of it's, it doesn't, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a... No, it works. Uh, in your, and in your viewing, we'll say for the sake of simplicity, you view, your view is that it, it didn't, it's a fantasy and in the real world he was kidnapped. I think... It, and I'll it, say it's a real fantasy world, just for the sake of like, okay, let's... In my mind, it is a person in a traumatic situation in real life. Okay, yeah. Creates a fantasy, his, his mind creates... A reality in which he can exist without dying yeah. essentially yeah. survive it's a survival mechanism for whatever spark yeah, it's a survival is. mechanism and when he doesn't remember stuff it's because maybe the real his real situation is invading the fantasy element that he has created and then and the he, cops finally yes catch on to him and that's kind of his mechanism for logistically mentally working his yeah. way out of his fantasy world okay yeah yeah so, i mean that's, that's that if i had to pick a reading um that's kind of what i would go with and that's good that's part of the fun right because yeah. i think i could make just as compelling a case for it actually being a fantasy world oh and I, I i completely agree and, and i keep harping on this but they both work yeah and that's the mark of like a brilliant story is when multiple readings hold up right? I, I don't know. When I was reading about Susanna Clark, it just didn't make me sad. But you obviously, she puts a lot of effort, or you know, there seems to be like a struggle, or, or you know, in her like actual life to actually get these works. To oh yeah, like a chronic, yeah, publication. So it just kind of made me sad to read this character who is sort of stuck, um, limited, and you know, you can almost read like can't interact with the real world yeah it, can't interact with the real world is you know has this great success and is trying to you know follow up and, and whatever yeah. um but from all the reviews and from what we're seeing i think it's it's a i haven't read her first book but it's a different novel but i, I think it's equally it, successful i, I can make the case real quick. It, it uh it, it there's a theory i have that it takes place in the the world of the first novel Okay. So first, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell is they're magicians, mm -hmm. but kind of magicians in the sense that Sales and Ketterly are in this book. Strange and Norell takes place in the Napoleonic Wars in like the mm -hmm. early 1800s in England, and it's kind of magic is almost like an academic discipline. Okay. Reading the books and you kind of do the rituals. You can do basic things. They're not like wizards. It's not like a traditional fantasy, like Gandalf type wizard. It's just you know, they study. You work at it. You can like see things happening in a, a pool. You know things and you know just practical magic basically. Yeah. And there is about two magicians and it is a it's a great book. It's it's really fantastic. But that's kind of the gist of it. And in Strange and Narelle, there are people who can get there are call them like tunnels between worlds dark pathways and they're very dangerous to travel but uh jonathan strange can travel through them his wife gets stuck somewhere you know so that that is the the connection so it could be in the same the modern setting of the strange and Narelle world and there is kind of 
somewhere deep within history, there's the power or the, the people who study have the capability to like tap into other worlds. So I think it can be loosely connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be fascinated. I don't know if you could even interview her if she would give the game away, if she would want to, but I would, I, I suspect it's the same realm. And what, another thing that I wonder while reading this book is how much of it was intentional or how much is just there that the reader can sort of, their own imagination comes up with grandiose ideas about what's going on. And if you were to actually ask her, because there, there's a lot of examples of this, like these huge theories about uh, books or TV shows about connections or whatever. And they go, you know, I noticed this, this, and this. And if you piece it together, it, it means this. And then you ask the actual creator of the work and they're like, oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I, yeah. I wondered how much of that was at play with this book. I think I mean, the best ones best. are kind of circumspect or they kind of, like I say, it's just tightly woven. It's really well. And it's not even that the fan theories that people yeah. think are necessarily wrong. It's just another interpretation. Yeah, another it's interpretation. The old, uh, the old saw about um, once an artist puts his artwork out there, it's no longer all yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's on. everyone's. It's everyone's so kind of. I think that's uh, part of the process. She would be fun to interview. We'll try to get her on. <laughs> <laughs> um, like when we talk about any book, uh, did you think, I, I thought briefly about a movie. I, I think this would be very difficult to do. A, difficult to do. If uh, some things, I don't. I have one person in mind. Huh? Ketterly. And my Ketterly is Benedict Cumberbatch. I yeah. always do Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. but I feel he has that sinister way where he could be the evil, but he's smart. Darkly charismatic. Darkly charismatic. You know, something's off. With and something's that scene different. between him and Sorensen where he's like, oh, I, I, I need a young man for this. Yeah. I think, I don't know. That would be perfect. Piranesi? But in general, I think it's a very, I don't really. I think a, a really, I don't, because not everything has to be a movie. Sometimes a good book can just be a good book. Yes, not. exactly. But my instinct would be just to let it be. But if they were going to do it, a, a movie in the right hands, somebody who was on the same page I think, with Susanna Clark, as far as like all the metaphors we're talking yeah. about, you have to play that so, you'd have to play that so well. I, I would want you, I would want the movie or whatever to keep the the reveal close, like not, you know. I would want it to be up in the air. I that would, this is a professor and students I, and this guy's writing a book and there's a both, both ways what we just talked about we yeah. need to be able to have the same conversation about the movie yeah. somebody needs to be able to say no it's really fantasy yeah it also needs to be plausible that it's all in his head there's I mean, a way you know, where it could work but it's a high degree of difficulty exactly so i don't know or it could be a little british miniseries like a three episode type thing <laughs> but like say oh, if you're yeah, gonna yeah, do, yeah i agree it'd be hard to thread the needle I think it's so difficult. My instinct would be just let it be. Don't. Yeah, really I would just say let but it be. You could. Look. You could. Uh, I thought for Piranesi, it could be the. Uh, you ever seen Get Out? Uh, I believe so. The George Clooney. No, no. no. Oh no, no, no! no. Oh. Get out the. Um, Jordan uh, Peele. The, yeah, yeah, Jordan Peele. The main, the main guy from Get Out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in I, Sicario. Have you ever seen Sicario? Is he in that? He's like the Jennifer Emily Blunt's. That the, that's the same guy, right? No, no, no. What are we talking about? The guy yeah. from Get Out, the boyfriend who gets trapped in the. Yeah. Yeah. What's his name? Daniel Kalua. He's in Sicario. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a minor that. part. He's a minor part. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Okay, that's that pretty guy. good. I like that. Him and Cumberpatch. I don't a director, I don't know, some very serious, I don't even know. The more we're talking about it, the more I kind of wish they would do it as a very like surreal um, pans labyrinth type thing. I don't know. I, like I say, yeah, it got to be plausible, but they, it's, it'd be a difficult trick, but I'd, I'd watch it. If they came out with it, I'd watch it. Yeah. Maybe half expecting it not to work, but. Yeah, it, it, it could fail pretty easily in a, in a way, uh, but. Yeah. 
Uh, any last thoughts about this book? Couple I more things. There's some story. pretty explicit Narnia connections. That's which, what I was reading, and I didn't. I've never read Narnia, so I didn't. People who grew up with the Narnia books, they'll they'll be a lot. There's a lot of like things to enjoy here. Um, That's cool. The open the opening quote is from the magician's nephew, okay. and that spoilers for the Narnia books. The magician's nephew. Um, first of all. That is not the first in the Narnia books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first in the Narnia books. This is, this is your... I harp on this till the day I die. It's not. But, well, so these are kind of... The sales character? Yeah. It's kind of... Uh, could be the kindly old man from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, who is the kid from The Magician's Nephew. Okay. The person who kind of is the gatekeeper to the doors through Narnia... It's like a dark, dark version of the magician, right? It's th that that's kind of there for the reader to piece together. Cause like, this is like, instead of, it's like a darker adult version of Narnia where instead of a magical realm, it's a bleak house and you're alone, right? Yeah. So, but the, the sales character is kind of like the magician, the old professor in Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, he's an old professor. There is the quote from the magician's nephew at the beginning. There's a quote underneath it, the fake quote from Sales saying he's more a magician than a professor. So that's all pretty obvious to people who've read Narnia. There is a statue that Piranesi sees early on of a fawn in the snow talking to a small child, which is obviously like even before I knew anything was going on, I like wrote like Lucy and Mr. Tumnus. Oh, okay. That is for the audience who read it. That's what she's alluding to is oh, Mr. Tumnus and Lucy in the snow by the lamppost. So that's kind of cool. One of those like little moments, it gives you chills. You're like, Ooh, that's nice. so there's lots of little, you know, little... I, I think it's like an adult, an adult kind of darker look at, not even, not even a twist, maybe like half homage, like take. It's gotcha. it's woven in there. Yeah, you know? it's um pretty fun. It's sort of like a, a band who is who sounds like another band, or and they kind of make reference to yeah, yeah. yeah they reference other. So it's its own thing. It's not derivative, but it's it's the there are little references that are really fun. So up. my one of the one of my favorite parts is kind of the, the idea of the statues, and this is kind of my last thought is the uh, Lawrence Arn sale. So the kind of the original, would you say like creator of the, the house or the labyrinth? He tapped into it. I think the house exists without him. And Pyrenees, he, he thinks a, a statue in the house can represent any person or you know scenario. Uh, and he finds this statue that he says represents sales. And he goes, this statue represents, um, hold on, he, he goes, the statue is of a, of a guy kind of, um, let's see here. And he goes, he is fat and bloated. He lolls on this throne, a shapeless mass. The throne is magnificent, but the sheer bulk of the figure threatens to split it in two. And I like that. Yeah. It's very, this college guy who's, uh, you know, has these disciples or who's a mass. And he has this throne that looks magnificent, but the person himself is just a mess, you know. Yeah, well, and it's ruin. Just, I don't know. He kind of delights in evil and being bad. That's a perfect statue for sales. Yeah. Yeah, it goes in his face. There's a mingled laughter and triumph. Look at me, he seems to say. Look at me, and I, yeah. I don't know. I like that as like the egotistical college professor who. Yep. comes up with this world or whatever. No, exactly. Well, and there's the one the right before that. It's the statue he associates with Ketterly. Mm -hmm. And it's a person, a powerful person who's tried, who with a sword and a broken orb. Yeah. And he broke, and that's kind of what Ketterly did. There's this like magical knowledge that he seeked, but he, or sought, and he broke what, what it was he was trying to learn about. He broke in the quest to learn more about it. And, and then there's the statue of Sarah Raphael, who, although not a main character, I would say is the most honorable, noble character in the book. Um, and the statue that, that wow. Piranesi finds, he goes, this statue shows a figure walking forward, holding a lantern. Um, 
and then it goes on from there and goes, uh, I get the sense that she is alone, perhaps by choice or perhaps because no one else was courageous enough to follow follow her into the darkness. Um, and so, mm -hmm. I mean, this character, you know, if you take it as, you know, the real life character finds Matthew Sorensen in this sort of activity. Either way, she's his rescuer. Yes. Reading. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, last thoughts, Matt, on this book? There's a uh, we could have probably gone for a little bit longer, but there's a lot to uh, well, discuss, unpack in a, in a short novel too. It's 240 yeah. pages, so really good. Just highly recommend it. Um, yeah, yeah. I I want to you know read her her first novel, although it seems completely different in the sense of it is, but it's very good. She's a good one. stuff like that, but. You know, excellent writing, excellent descriptions. A a person who's thought a lot about their work. I feel like. Oh yeah, I, we'll interview her. We'll get her on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Point and we'll, but it'll hold up to a second, probably a third reading. I'll read this. Together. Yeah, it's definitely. It, it, it's something that I think people will come back to um, many times and, and unpack things. So. Uh, well, the listener can get in contact with us a couple ways on Instagram. Um, um, there will be books where we post pictures of books, the labyrinth of our brains through mm -hmm. our dogs and books and, and whatnot. And Matt's uh, also running our Twitter account, slowly yeah. losing his mind in the labyrinth of Twitter. And, and yeah, there's an analogy there the too. Heights of Twitter, the the statues of Twitter. You're alone. Real. Yeah. Oh man. Actually, Twitter is is sort of like the house in a way. Oh yeah. You interact with people, but the real stat are they real people? You're yeah. just yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you interact with people. You think you know them, but if you met them in real life, what would you say to them? Probably not a lot. I don't know. It's not a healthy place. <laughs> but I'm there. We're also on Goodreads. Um, I'm going to try and collect my thoughts on this and, and write a review for this book. Okay. Um, at uh, there will be books and then we're also we have a gmail account our email account at uh, willbebooks at gmail.com and we also have a what's it let's see let's see let's see yeah. kind of the nicest uh community that we have of yeah kind of like instagram um, but it's they're the 16 of of the social media world they are the the saviors the, the rescuers yeah. the rescuers is the person who's courageous enough to, to find us. So, uh, Matt, any last thoughts? Email us your thoughts on this book. If you liked it, Susanna Clark, let us know time. Um, we're yeah, open. What, what time works for you? Interview. We won't ask you to give too much away, but it'd be fascinating to pick her brain about like, yeah, everything that went into this. Definitely. Uh, until next time. Thank you uh, for listening. Mm -hmm.